failing. And we both worked with kids who were in the system, like aggregate care, like foster youth. Uh, and those tend to be higher rates of queer, black, brown, indigenous kids. And mm-hmm. so we were just talking about how the school system is really failing these, these kids. And, she's, mm-hmm. and I was like, someone's got to like really do something about this. And like with a straight face, she's like, you're somebody. Oh. And literally, we left that lunch to the courthouse, uh, picked up petitions because the, the office they were running, the, it just happened to be we, like this. And within 72 hours, I had my signatures and I was on the ballot. So wow. that was literally what happened. Okay, so the more we talk, the more I realize how similar we are because that's <laughs> that would be absolutely a Leo move. Like someone calls me out there like, yo, you're someone. And I'm like, ah, shit, I am someone. Let's go get a petition. Right, exactly. My name is Leo WT, and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome at the conversation. All right, my friends, I am Leo WT. If you're here, there is a really good chance you've seen me before, but I do have a new awesome, fantastic friend on uh, the on the uh, chat tonight. So I just want to say hi to you and let you know that um, we are here with Tyler Titus. They are going to introduce themselves here in just a minute. But uh, I did want to give you a quick note. We still will be chatting with ABO Comics. We just had to reschedule due to a technical difficulty on my end. But that will be up uh, probably Tuesday. So we'll be we'll be back with that in uh, in a couple of days. But for now, I am getting to chat with someone who I've really been waiting to chat with for, for quite some time. So um, this is conversations, and we're going to be talking about being a queer leader and being the change you wish to see in the world. And I, with that, I'm going to let Tyler introduce themselves. That's a that's a nice long lofty title with the the, the change you want to see in the world, right? Um, <laughs> I try I try to set the bar high. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Though. That's really inspiring. That is really inspiring. Uh, so yes, Tyler Titus, they them their pronouns. I um, I always started with yes, uh, I am from Titusville. Uh, so I am Tyler Titus from Titusville. Um, <laughs> it's it. I don't know the namesake of there. I'm sure that it is. Uh, but I've never, I've never really tracked it down. Uh, right now, I am currently seated as the Erie City School Board President, serve as, uh, on the, the Pennsylvania Commission of Affairs, uh, and I'm running for Erie County Executive. Um, but the coolest things about me are probably the humans that you'll probably inevitably hear in the background. Um, I have a kiddo here, um, and my, my wife is upstairs, and we've got really loud pets. So Perfect. They're going to join the fun, I'm sure, at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> I think when uh, in, in 2020, which has really just bled into 2021, um, facts of life are there will be Zoom and there will be pets and children in it. And that's A-OK. Because Absolutely. We're, we're the weirdest thing is that we're all like whole beings. And I think in 2020 and 2021, one of the biggest things that we learned about everybody in our worlds is that like we are more than just what you see at work because all of a sudden you're seeing us in our settings and and you're seeing our people and our pictures and our decorations and, mm-hmm. and our you know our sweatshirts and, and stuff like that and I think it's actually been kind of cool to see um yeah. to see other people in context you know what I mean mm-hmm. so, absolutely I fully agree fully agree awesome so I have 
I had a sense that you were pretty chill and that we could just vibe out. And so I didn't come up with any sort of flow for this conversation, but that's actually why I chose the name conversations for this group and podcast and YouTube channel um, is because conversation is defined as, you know, a dialogue between two or more parties that has to proceed in some extent in a spontaneous manner. So here we are. And I think the best things come out of that. But let's start with the reason that I really, really wanted to talk to you. And that reason is um, I've become really convinced that if you're going to have any belief system, period, religious, a religious, moral, ethical, like however you do define your belief system, it has to interface with your daily life, right? Yes. And I think that um, for me, as I felt more disenfranchised from the church, right, when I was growing up, I felt more of a draw to work in areas of social justice and local politics, because those were the tangible places um, to make a difference in my area. And I think I think it's really, really cool um, that you have stepped up and really begun to be a part of the local political system in your area, because I think, frankly, there's no bigger way to make a change. So how did you get to how did you get to be the school board president? Like, let's start with the, the seat. That yeah, you're right yeah. Now. So um, in, in true Tyler fashion, I was sitting with um, one of my friends who is a guardian med light in here in the local area, and we, we had met over lunch. Um, and, uh, she, we, we were like, just like, uh, Kriven are, uh, complaining about, um, our local school, like mm -hmm. how it was like kind of failing. And we both worked with kids who were in the system, like aggregate care, like foster youth. Uh, and those tend to be higher rates of queer, black, brown, indigenous kids. And mm -hmm. so we were just talking about how the school system is really failing these, these kids. And she's, mm -hmm. and I was like, someone's got to like really do something about this. And like with a straight face, she's like, you're somebody. Oh. And literally, we left that lunch to the courthouse, uh, picked up petitions because the, the office they were running, the, it just happened to be we, like this. And within 72 hours, I had my signatures and I was on the ballot. So wow. that was literally what happened. Okay, so the more we talk, the more I realize how similar we are because that's <laughs> that would be absolutely a Leo move. Like someone calls me out, they're like, "Yo, you're someone," and I'm like, "Ah, shit, I am someone." Let's go get a petition. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so let's put it. Mm -hmm. and did that's, you, that's literally what happened. Did you have any political experience before you decided to run? Nope. Um, only like in the advocacy realm. So I have worked uh, as an activist really since I came to Erie in 2003. Honestly, even before that. So when I was in Titusville, I was, you know, that teen that was like marching in D.C. on the streets um, for uh, at Big Tobacco and the liquor companies for targeting youth. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that was like kind of my burst in was more on the activism, uh, learning how to be like within just, you know, a convincer, getting people to like listen to what we're mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly i just said that i always wanted to be on the other side i couldn't i didn't want to follow the rules that all the politicians had to follow uh but then i learned how important it is though to get in and change the rules right right if, if you don't like the rules um and they're they're oppressing certain groups the only way that those rules are going to change is if oppressed people get within those positions um yeah. and it and so that's kind of where it came like to use power with power has power has privilege, right? Our power and and there's sorry, there's privilege and power, but then there's also the responsibility and accountability and power. Mm -hmm. um, and the true, I think the true definition of a good leader 
is somebody who is willing to spread that power out mm -hmm. um, and empower, use it to empower others. Mm. Um, and I know myself to be, and that's kind of like what motivates me and drives me. Yeah. It's not to be the face or the center, but to use my platform to then like reverberate out and to right. pull others forward. No, every I'm, I'm telling you everything you say, everything you say, because I've come to understand my own passion. Well, first of all, people have at, been at me left, right and center, like you should run for office, you should run for office, you should run for office. And I really, really thought about it. But at the moment, man, there's some people here in our local government that need to be called out. And I feel like someone needs to call them out without having to worry about getting votes, right? And yeah. so I'm kind of functioning in what I would like to call a parapolitical role right now, which is being heavily involved in local government, but not running. So it's funny that mm -hmm. you said that because like there is a need for people to run. But one of the things that I've really been able to kind of circle around to is this idea of building other people up. Like I'm a very passionate individual and for some reason people want to listen to me. And so I'm trying to use that right now to raise up minority youth and young people and encourage them to chase their passions, right? So right mm -hmm. now I'm trying to work with the uh, Olean Regional Justice Coalition, other local coalitions in our area to kind of build up that interest, especially in minority and disenfranchised communities, you know, because yeah, absolutely. Olean's a town of like 13,500. We're declining every year. And um, the, the health incomes and the wage gaps and everything, they're so real. And uh, mm -hmm. we've got to take a stand and make a change somehow. We have to, we have absolutely. to. Absolutely. And so, I, but I, I think that there's there's a, a piece of what you just said that I don't want to like, for us to just like move on from. And that is the, that sometimes people need to be called out in a way that um, might, might stop people from voting for them mm -hmm. or voting for them. And I think that we, that is a, also an important role. And my mm -hmm. wife has often said to me that, you know, the most influential leaders are actually not ones in elected office. Um, and so... I've kind of like gone back and forth with that because both both really matter, right? Mm -hmm. Both really matter. Um, my wife has never had the desire to be in, in politics and was even just like, man, now I'm gonna be married to somebody who is in politics. Um, I'm not sure what to do with that. But she is somebody who's like behind the scenes and really likes the old people. And like, she, she's gonna hold you accountable. She's gonna yeah. call you out on what you said, but both are equally as important. Yeah. And you, you have to have that partnership. So for me, I've been focusing on really building a relationship with my particular aldermen. Um, and then some of the older aldermen are in our area uh, because we do have some, we have some really interesting social dynamics happening in Olean in so much as like we're a town of 13,500, but we're the urban center for about an hour radius around us. Yeah. So like we have a chance to really make a difference. And we're at a spot right now where uh, Olean has their first black alderman. He was appointed this past year after we really kind of turned some screws and put some pressure on some openly racist aldermen that we had in our town. Um, and we've got some new fresh leadership and we're at a chance. We're at a precipice where things could tip. And so I think mm -hmm. that's why I, I was really excited to get you on in particular, because some when people see presidential elections and Congress, Congress and senators, it's really easy to see that and then be like, but what do I do? Like, how do my votes matter? But I almost think that um, we have a lot to learn in terms of like how much change you can make as a county executive or as, mm -hmm. as a school board uh, president. Would you give us like maybe a little bit of insight into some reasons that it's been important to run for like in, in the school district or some things yeah. that you've been able to work on in that arena? So I think it's important to to note that uh, 
the imposter syndrome, right? Is we see these people up there and we just, we presume that we don't have what it takes to, to be within the political arena or that we, we don't deserve a seat at the table. But when we unpack where a lot of these people come from, um, we see a whole lot of cis white privilege, like that just assume that they're, they're best for it. Like, um, like having our federal, um, legislature be primarily made up of like car salesmen, you know what I mean? Like, or, you know, like salespeople. And so they don't have a background anymore other than the fact that they're really good at reading an audience um, and can really get people to buy into what they're saying. Right. Right. Um, but for me, like why it mattered, why it really mattered was, was representation. Representation is everything. Mm -hmm. I had two suicide attempts prior to graduating high school Mm -hmm. and it was because I could not see myself or hear myself or or believe in myself and through any of the stories, the historical context, Mm -hmm. I wasn't in any TV shows. I wasn't in any of the books that we read unless, unless we were the butt of the joke, right? Mm -hmm. Queer people were always the ones who were like the plot twist or, you know, that like through this like weird, like screw in, into the, into the mix. Or the murdered um, sex worker. Right. Right. That's, that's who we are. Right. And um, like you think of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, right? That was one of my favorite movies growing up. And yeah. it wasn't until just recently that I was like, holy shit. Yeah. And had to unpack like this message that I was carrying with me. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so when we, when you get people who have the intersectional identity within positions of power, who are able to then influence policy um, to unpack how these, these policies and procedures and legislature uh, impact marginalized um, and oppressed communities, it, mm-hmm. it matters because we can give voice and perspective where other people aren't going to slow down. They're just yeah. not going to slow down or they're intentionally causing the harm. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's why it matters. That's why it matters. It's so true. That representation is huge because like, there's so many of us, like, so you and I right now, like real talk, like we could pass as cis white men. Right. So we still have Mm -hmm. a layer. We still have privilege. Right. And I I think that, that everybody has layers of privilege and it's, it's Mm -hmm. a real thing. And it's also not a negative, right? Because we can use our assumed this hat white male status like you can run and have someone look at your campaign flyer and not right away go like fucking queer you know what i mean but then then they see you right and they've already it's already been accessible um so you have like you and i would have a unique position whereas um well you're slightly less tattooed than me so like i stick out only above only above only above i just just what you see on screen yeah, yeah, I just started in this. So. <laughs> but um, but we have a chance to be almost like an intermediary, right? Because mm-hmm. we do have we have areas of intersectional marginalization, but also areas of intersectional privilege. And yes. I think it's super important for, for people to get out there and and to be a mirror with which young queer youth can see themselves and to be a mirror with which other marginalized people can see themselves. Because really no one minority is going to be able to make a complete change. Like our liberation is bound up together. And so Mm -hmm. we're able to inspire um, marginalized youth in an intersectional fashion, like then we can really start to make change. You know what I mean? Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I think that the system is working the way the system was designed. And that is to pivot um, oppressed and marginalized people against each other. Because when we are pivoting against each other and fighting for the same resources, 
everyone else gets, they, you know what I mean? They get yep. to just keep and maintain the power. It's artificial scarcity, man. I can't believe mm-hmm. we haven't talked for so long. It's like I'm talking to myself, which by that, I mean, you're super <laughs> funny and, and smart and got good jokes. So, but no, you're, you're so right. It's an artifact. It's an artificial and manufactured sense of scarcity. It's, it's so mm-hmm. much like, well, Really, it's it's the it's the bait and switch hallmark of our country because originally race didn't even exist, right? But right. poor uh, poor white people who worked as indentured servants, and by white I don't mean as a race, I mean people whose skin was white, right? So mm-hmm. poor people with light skin who were indentured servants, and poor people with brown skin who were forced into slavery. Those two groups got together and they launched an insurgence when the capital was still in Virginia. And the powers that be, the cis het white straight dudes who were happened to be Christians, were like, "Bro, we gotta, we gotta, we cannot let these mm-hmm. people work together." And that re- that story and narrative has reverberated throughout our whole history. Whether it's Bloods versus Crips, whether it's Black people versus Gay people, whether it's uh, you know, <clears throat> like everybody versus Mexicans, like they mm-hmm. have just they. And by they, I don't mean like a cool trendy person who has gender neutral pronouns. <laughs> I mean the system, like you said, the mm-hmm. system is doing exactly what it's supposed to be. And so there's this weird there's this weird paradox, right, where we have to we have to either play one of two roles. We have to be an outside irritant or we have to do what you're doing and go into the system because until mm-hmm. someone goes into the system and just kind of like, I just had the best image in my head of like sticking a, 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 a twig through a bike tire. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Someone's got to go mm-hmm. in the system and be like, boop. <laughs> yeah, that, and yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, and to like, even like elaborate a little bit, like, you know, when we had the indentured uh, servants and we had those who were forced into slavery, what did we do? We literally empowered one over the other to mm-hmm. then go arrest those. Um, and like, and, and there is born the police system. Exactly. Um, and that is why when people are talking about reform with the, you know, or abolition, it's, mm-hmm. it's because the very fundamental roots were pitting, you know, indentured against um you and know slaves. Yeah. um yeah. and so when the system was built to ins- uh you know take down uh black and brown people and indigenous people we have to reform it we absolutely have to reform it and we do that we do that by getting people who have those lived experience the true context context of history mm-hmm. um into those spaces so they can dispel the myths which sucks. Again, it sucks that the oppressed people are again doing the heavy lift. Exactly. Again, doing the heavy lift. Exactly. And I don't know. It really does suck because like at this point, like especially black and brown people, women, queer people like these these communities have been doing the heavy lifting of trying to educate people for so long about, you know, our own respective existences. Right. And then we still got to go in there and do the work. And I think that this is this was my hope with this summer is that we could we could pass a critical precipice where um, where people of privilege would start realizing their privilege and siding with people with power. And I think Absolutely. we, yeah. I think we're seeing, I think we're starting to see that, but I, I think that it cannot, we cannot rely on the people that are already in power to fight for us at some point. So while it sucks that there's still heavy lifting to be done by minority communities, like the reality is the system isn't rotten. The system is healthy. And unless yeah. we go in there and switch things up, man, like who who is going to do it? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that lived experience right. in that context is so huge. So it's mm-hmm. so huge. 
what are some of what are some of the things that you've been able to work on via your position um, in your in the school board in terms of kind of dismantling that oppressive system? So uh, having a seat at the table um, is, I think, it, it's really important because I can start. We can start pointing out who else is not at the table and should mm -hmm. be at the table. Mm -hmm. We can start um, like there is. There's a lot of racism that happens within the public education system. A lot. Um, it's like it's founded on you know segregation still happens. Um, but we just now do it through funding um, and where we push and who we won't like allow in schools and and tax rates, right? So we make certain neighborhoods impossible for other people to live in. Um, we don't hire them at better jobs, so they're stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, and then those are also the schools that happen to be, you know, pulling from that same funding bucket um, and, and, and trying to do the same kind of work uh, with families who are enduring complex trauma. Mm -hmm. So like minority stress model um, in addition to daily living. Mm -hmm. But when you, when you, when I'm at the table or when I've been at the table, I've been able to partner with, um, some of the others who were doing the work. And now because I have lighter skin, I can say, no, actually this is a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's taken with a little bit more seriousness, mm -hmm. which is, it's unfortunate. And again, like you said, using my privilege and my access to the advantage of, of making sure conversations are heard. Yeah. Um, and then once like I've clapped and we've got the attention to turn it to mic pass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cause that's critical. <laughs> it's so critical. And it, it, I, so I sometimes struggle with that too. Cause like you said, like I have light skin, right? Like it's, I, I have uh, in some ways an unfair advantage, but it is like you said, I love that. You, like you explained it, like getting that clap and getting that attention. And sometimes I, I think there's a lot of room too to hold space, right? Because sometimes we do have to use our voice because unfortunately this, this party or that party is not represented yet at the table. And so I like mm -hmm. to think of it as like, I'm trying to know when to not speak, but also when that I need to speak so as to hold space um, verbally for the conversation to progress because I definitely am someone who like, like speaking. I don't have a ton of skills in life. I just talk really good. And so that's like, <laughs> people think that I have a lot more skills than I do, but really I'm just a good talker. You know, I, I could have been a used car salesman. Thank goodness I have some sort of like, <laughs> I can't, I can't just do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, but I sometimes feel that tension too. And so I like that analogy uh, you used of kind of metaphorically clapping to get the attention uh, focused where it needs to be. Cause I think that's important too. Uh, I don't, I don't want people to feel like, oh, I can't talk because I have lighter skin. But I also do want people to know like the attention needs to be here at this moment, yeah. whatever that is, you know, be, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I think your head has to be on a swivel too because there are, um, there's, there's complex social trauma. There are areas where people are traumatized and marginalized in multiple, you know, compounding. Absolutely, yes. And that, you know, that those are the things that really like, like you mentioned your, your traumatic experience in high school, um, you know, RE mental health, those are those compounding areas of trauma are the things that we have to begin to pull back layer by layer. And Absolutely. we have to do it by whatever means, whether it's speaking or not speaking, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, you, I mean, you, you really, you really nailed it. And then to also look at um, spiritual and religious trauma, like, yeah. My, my father was, was a youth pastor and we, you know, I would go to youth group. And then as I started kind of like piecing things together and, and who I am as a person, my authentic self, starting to realize this space where I had sought so much comfort um, was like, I started mourning 
Like I had to mourn the loss of that space because mm-hmm. um, I could tell that I was no longer going to be welcomed in these spaces, like mm-hmm. by the dialogue that was happening, by the body language, by the jokes, you know, by all these, you know, all these closed door conversations. And so like while simultaneously wanting to celebrate my, who I am as a human, uh, grieving the people that I have all these shared lived experiences yes. with and these memories. Um, and it's, it's, it compounds and it's complex. And I think that the same thing happens when there's multiple intersections of identity. Um, and, we'll, and I know like that's things that get thrown around a lot, but I think it's really important to bring that back is sometimes people have to sacrifice being true to themselves to be mm-hmm. in, in a space safely and then also they have to be like, this is the best as it's going to get right now for me. So even though I'm, it's, it's, it's toxic, harmful environment, there are no other alternatives. Right. Um, and, and cause I've heard people be like, well, you just need to be you. And I'm just like, it, that's, there's a lot of privilege in being able to say, just be you because that's yeah. not, some people can't cause they'll be killed. It's and so that's true. not like an exaggeration um, or they'll be homeless or, or they're going to be, you know, sexually assaulted. Um, mm-hmm. And so sometimes, sometimes you can't be you. That's um, so true. And there's no shame in that. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I feel like that's definitely, I mean, that's an experience that has to resonate or that's a, that's an idea that has to resonate with people of color. Like um, my son is, is trans and is black. And so I very quickly went from having like a, a, a young black teenage daughter to an effeminate black male teenage son and that is in some regards one of the most terrifying things I've ever experienced because initially I wasn't worried and that showed my privilege because my partner who happens to be brown was like you do realize we have a black son now right and so in some spaces like you said it is safer for my son to be stealth and I think those are those are the moments when we need to speak up is when we recognize that it is safer for us to speak up than for someone else to speak up. Um, And you have to look at that with intersectional moments of justice too. You have to look at it because it's always going to be safer for the white females to be in in the front line um, Mm -hmm. at a protest, but not using their voice, literally using their bodies and their privilege as white females to be Mm -hmm. between, to be literally a shield between mm-hmm. uh, black individuals and police forces. It, mm-hmm. it has to happen. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And the same is true with, um, you know, indigenous or native American people yes. who have been at the front line, literally have been here and have been, you know, arm locked with every social movement and how so often we have like, we have like completely negated. Yes what um we have done or what they have then given back to the very people who are murdering them mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and how they have shown up to fight for social and moral justice issues inequities and and we are still we do the same thing we do this we've said the same thing to black and brown women too especially black and brown trans women yeah. we just like plow right over and when they have been at the you know at the forefront often starting the very movements Mm -hmm. that have changed all of our lives yep um and we are not we're not showing up in the same ways we're just not exactly no you're a you're 100 true and you have to like you have we have to give 
credence to that, right? Because even within like within our community, right? I'm saying queer community, like we still have more privilege than, you know, like a black or, or indigenous trans person. And we have to realize those overlapping areas of both privilege and marginalization. And I think it's really important to note that like it's, you know, the most dangerous category of human to exist within that you could find yourself within is to be a black or brown trans woman. But I say that with the caveat of we haven't even begun to quantify the danger of being an indigenous woman or an indigenous trans woman, because there's been atro atrocities that have literally just not been statistically represented for indigenous yeah, women fun, right? in both mm -hmm. America and Canada. And so we have to be able to maneuver ourselves into positions of, uh, of, of influence so that we can create that change. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. and, and the reality is, is that sometimes if I look like a, a straight white man, I might be able to maneuver into a position more easily than someone who um, is either not interested or doesn't have the privilege to be able to pass in society. So we've got to step up and we've got to step up and say, you know, in local school boards, you got to say, is this is this working for everybody or is it working mm -hmm. for someone who it looks like you? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can, You're spot on. Right. Yes. Yes, there, yes. I feel like there's so many moments where like our mayor here, and this is where we'll transition a little bit from school to kind of like more, um, uh, let's say like local, you know, municipal government or county government is um, our mayor here is a cis white um, heterosexual straight male who is a Catholic and who used to be our police chief. And he is comfortable saying that we don't need a police reform board. And he's comfortable saying that we don't have an issue with racism. And he's comfortable looking over a very highly qualified female candidate for alderman replacement because she's not a part of his political party. And so there needs to be a way when you're when you see corruption um, on that local level, there needs to be a way for you to stand up and use your voice and, and your privilege. And that might be, you know, it might be speaking, it might be protesting, but but those are the things we got to stand up and protest because those are the areas where I don't think it's a blind spot. I think it is an intentional ignorance. Um, of the other and someone has to stand up and say bro you are a joke right now <laughs> mm -hmm. absolutely so we had over 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 the summer we had an an, an incident um during the you know the, the the protests that were happening um i don't even i don't even like to use the word protest like the movement like the uprising mm -hmm. like you know like the hurt we were watching the hurt come out in the streets as a form of grief Mm -hmm. and suffering like that's what we were saying. so i think protest is so belittling but that's that's the english language and that's what we have yeah um but where an officer kicked a young white um woman who was sitting in the streets mm -hmm. just sitting in the streets um you know a peaceful peaceful protest um after like getting her to move and like like boot to heel like kicked her so hard in the face um and there was i just was I was disgusted. I was, I mean, as, as everybody else was, we're just disgusted with what we saw on half like unravel and the response from our mayor. Um, he is, he's a kind hearted person. He is, he comes to, he comes to our pride events and, and he has a gay son and he's very proud of his gay son. Um, but I was really just disheartened because there was this moment of opportunity to stand in solidarity yep. and, and to put, yourself at risk of maybe not being reelected of maybe you know of maybe losing political capital but to show that you stand on the right side of things 
Um, and he didn't, and yeah. he didn't, uh, he missed a moment. Um, and, and using my privilege, I, I was the president of his, um, of his advisory board on the queer advisory board. Mm -hmm. And I, I publicly resigned. I waited until the next city council meeting. And then I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. And I just on the spot blasted and said, these are all the reasons why I resigned. Yeah. Um, and read off the names and it caused a huge divide. People like, but this mayor shows up at you know the pride parade. He marches with us. He's, he raises the flag. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but if we are not there in solidarity with our black and brown, especially our black, brown, indigenous, queer individuals, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. The, the, like showing up at a pride parade that was started by black and brown people is, is for not. It, it, it is, is for absolutely not for, for not. Show. Absolutely. It's a hundred percent for show. And I think that's why I like, I like the idea of, of the title queer leader for you. And I, I, um, for those who are watching, I made sure with Tyler that it was okay with them that I <laughs> use the word queer, uh, queer is a word. I think it, in more urban areas and, and perhaps maybe more West Coast areas primarily, or, or at the beginning, uh, queer is going undergoing a reclamation, um, you know, much as different words have, have gone as a reclamation by different, you know, the people who they have been, you know, those worlds have been hurt words have been hurled at. Um, so I checked with Tyler to make sure that they were okay with queer because that's how I also identify. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's a moment where you really stood up as a queer leader, right? And you're like, no, bro, mm -mm, no, mm -hmm. like no performative allyship. It's not real. And I think that the world needs more queer leaders, right? We need more people who are willing to say, I might lose social capital, but if I don't do this, then the next person will not take a stand. You you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And oh God, I, I hate how slow politics moves. I hate it. But someone has to be the first person that says, hold the phone, hold mm -hmm. the You're phone. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that that's incredibly necessary. What was the, uh, what was the response when you, when oh you, my God. it got nasty. It got nasty. I went from being seen in this community um, by several of the higher ups as somebody um, like a rising star momentum almost mm -hmm. to literally being like blackballed. And, um, and I see it and I still feel the ripple effect. And there are still many high up queer leaders here um, who, who, won't talk to, who won't talk to me because I jeopardized the relationship with the mayor and what he has done for the queer community. But he didn't do it. The queer community did it. He jeopardized the relationship yes. with the community. You did yes. not. That onus exactly. is not on you. Exactly. And so- um, I knew that going into it. I knew that going into it that I was going to lose um, allegiance, which is a gross word and concept. Mm -hmm. I was going to lose, you know, being seen as somebody who could be a trusted leader mm -hmm. um, by certain individuals within my community. But all those individuals were white. Mm. I was okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That says a lot. That says a lot. And I feel like sometimes there is a hierarchy that exists within queer communities that people who aren't queer might not notice uh, or might not be aware of. But like, because we're queer, does it mean everybody's chill? Like the same right. hierarchies play themselves out. And this is a this is a sociological fascination of mine. Um, and it's something that I'm very sociologically informed. So like I'm in a, a master's of divinity program right now. Um, and I, I ideally will progress to a uh, 
PhD, probably in theology or practical theology, but everything I do is sociologically informed, right? Because nothing mm -hmm. happens outside of sociology, right? Uh, but there's a sociological phenomenon that is, is particularly fascinating to me. And that's the idea of replicating the same damaging hierarchy that exists within the outside community within our communities of marginalization. So like there's a whole situation of like rainbow capitalism where pride has become about selling rainbow things from companies that aren't necessarily allies. Meanwhile, black and brown trans voices are, are, are not represented at events. So these, it's so interesting to see like marginalized communities replicate systems of marginalization. Like there's a lot of communities um, that are very patriarchal. I know that's a big complaint that I've heard um, within, especially like the African-American queer community is mm -hmm. the patriarchal nature of like of that community. And now I, I can't say that firsthand because I'm not, I'm not an authority on the matter, but I'm just, this is a conversation I've had with other people. And so you can begin to see like, why do we replicate those unhealthy systems if we are already the victims of them? You know what I mean? And yeah, I don't absolutely. That's, that's a big if question. Do a quick, if in, I think a great way to demonstrate that is to do a quick overview of, of just the queer organizations that you see across the U.S., even in our state or, you know, local, who mm -hmm. sits at the helm? Who mm -hmm. sits at the helm of those of those queer organizations? Who is represented on the board and who is not? Mm -hmm. um, and it puts into perspective really quick. I did a quick uh, demographic breakdown um, when I was, you know, getting ready to launch my nonprofit and I was seeking out the money for the nonprofit. Um, and just to look at the representation that was in the queer entities, like on, on the queer bodies here. And I was... It made me sick to my stomach and um because i think when i sat down and looked uh there was like four uh, gender expensive people and maybe maybe two black people um within within those orgs and we have i think we have four now here and that just like speaks and in a, in a community and in a city where we are well over 50 percent um you know of diversity one of the we're a diverse city uh mm -hmm. and it just it blows my mind and we could i mean this could pivot us into the because i always go on tangents about just nonprofits and 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 how that really is just another form of uh elitist getting to control who gets to be helped and who doesn't that's very um, incredibly true that's and very it just, true <laughs> it frustrates the hell out of me um because it all, all it has done is is pivot the marginalized again the marginalized and the oppressed fighting for the same this belief that there's there's not enough money and so we're all fighting for the same grants yeah. while you're watching the Jeff Bezos of the world yes yeah. literally make millions in minutes yeah and i think that's a that's a big problem we see both in nonprofits and political systems as well mm -hmm. um you know I, I worked for almost a decade in social work uh, after like you know just a rapid and aggressive disenfranchisement from christianity but um there is there is no there's a saying that we have which is there's no funding without data <clears throat> and so mm -hmm. if uh, if you look at like the move of Donald Trump to take uh, it, it, from my understanding, it wasn't just him because there's been a, a continual problem with census representation, mm -hmm. but to, to have no category for anything under, other than male or female, to have no category for certain ethnic backgrounds, to have no category for this, that and the other, you're removing the chance of any of these communities of marginalization being seen 
mm -hmm. if they're not seen, they cannot be helped because they, there can be no funds received for them being helped. And so this mm -hmm. is a dual problem within politics and nonprofit world that I think is often overlooked because we can be in the streets as much as we want, right? But until like in particular in Olean, our mayor was gonna take a survey of if racism was a problem. He was gonna put that survey out in the local newspaper. Who the hell is the demographic of the local newspaper? Older, right. retired, conservative, heterosexual, white, cisgender people. Tell me how that survey is going to reflect any change that needs to happen in the world. And you're so right. It is. An, it's another form of elitism, right? Because then they have a chip on their shoulder saying, well, we took a survey and we figured out who needs to be helped. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like the old elderly white people or, you know, whatever it may be. That was a mm -hmm. hypothetical. That didn't, that isn't exactly what happened here, but I'm just saying like, yeah. It's another form of elitism and it's a form that is, it's insidious because it's not like no one, no one fucking shot somebody in the street, but they completely negated their existence. Right. And that right, absolutely. is mm -hmm. problematic. And that's the thing that comes back to, especially um, in, in the political realm, that's a thing that comes back to, uh, to a political issue that someone can make a difference with. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you start and you, you, you just, you nailed it. Like when you start to see, how legislation, policy procedure, how that rolls out and what that actually looks like in practice and why it's so important to have that representation to, to, to be like, wait, hold up, that, like, that's not capturing. So even just like look at COVID, right? When they started issue, like when, when cases were starting to come in and we were getting positive test results, there was no system in place to capture and accurately reflect any of the demographic information. Yep. So we could not tell right away. And this is, nobody, will, nobody will ever convince me that this was not intentional, that it was hitting um, marginalized communities harder. Yes, yes. But what we knew it was because marginalized people don't get jobs <laughs> or have a harder time getting jobs out of the front line first, you know, those responders, those Absolutely. people who are still considered essential. Yep. Um, and we know that as, as queer people, you know, you, you look you look to like even the entertainment industry, like you, that's, you, that's often where we are forced to have to go mm -hmm. or choose to go. What I mean, it's, but, there was no, there was no rescue happening there. And so once you saw like, is crisis, 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 and then the data started coming in, you almost saw even a pullback on, on, on responding because they're like, oh, it's only affecting those people. Yep. Let's yep. open the schools back up or let's like, you know what I mean? Yep. So it was, it became like a double, it was just constant, not just double, like it was constant. And I'm tripping over my words a lot. I'm not saying them perfect to you, but I'm trying to convey that concept of, of, why, like you said, data matters. Yeah. Um, and then the power you have to eradicate any type of resource yes. when you eliminate a few boxes on a piece of paper. It's astounding. We had an issue uh, maybe two years back here where our local library did a drag queen story hour for the beginning of Pride Month. Now, first of all, as an aside, I'm convinced that the most legitimate effective, aggressive social justice warriors in any community are librarians and nuns. And no one can tell me any different, <laughs> right? Librarians and nuns, those folks are going hard for justice. So they our library was like, we're going to hold a drag queen story hour. One person was like, bro, that's against my religion. We're going to start a protest. And so like they, they people were going to launch a protest. It literally drew in Nazis literal Nazis that live about an hour from us that are very out and proud about their Nazism. Mm -hmm. uh, Pennsylvania is just a great place, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, but so, so this person, this one person who was a straight white conservative Christian male 
was said, let's start a protest. And that ended up drawing literal Nazis. But it's cool because there were four people that protested. And then there was about 150 counter protesters. So that tells you like a, the direction is moving in a good way in our mm -hmm. area. However, in short summation, our local Title IX officer, who is the head of the special education department, literally posted a comment on Facebook about how gay people are possessed by the devil. So naturally, we decided we need to protest at a school board meeting, period. So we, yeah. sh we showed up like 50, 60 strong at the school board meeting. And out of that, there came some very, in, in my honest estimation, since I'm mixing no words, it was a disingenuous effort. Um, it was an effort to subcommittee us to death. But we did come up with, we were working towards creating a diversity and equity survey to be put out by students that would be filled out by students and not parents. And it would mm -hmm. be anonymous, right? But what they freaking did, and this is how they subcommittee it to death, is the first question on the survey was, are you male or female? Like, how, how are you going to capture any information about mm -hmm. transgender students if you literally wrote them out of existence? Mm -hmm. And this is, this is, again, where we need diverse people in office to be like, are you kidding me? Like, are, are you kidding me? Is this what's happening right now? Mm -hmm. Like, you're going to take a survey about this? You're going to ask white people about racism? Like, these are the finer points, I think, where especially local politics, like, like local politics are politics. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, what happens in Washington is 75 years away from me intellectually and emotionally. But what happens mm -hmm. on that survey will directly affect my transgender child being able to receive any sort of services in the school. Absolutely. Yes. You know? Yes. And that, like that is local politics, local politics. Um, I almost like said local politics are so sexy. They really are. And what they can bring into the world and what they can, I mean, yeah. they just there is this like appeal to them and the, the power. I mean, there is just so there's just so much that can happen in local politics and then local politics, um, you know, those, when, so when you're in like your township, your municipal, the school boards, the districts, those affect the county, those affect the region. And then you're starting to see this state effect that happens and rolls out. And once you start, people start trusting. So as a non-binary person um, who has been very loud and very vocal on not just queer issues, mm -hmm. but on all, like all issues, um, I'm earning the trust and respect of people who would have just heard my labels and disregarded me. Right. But I'm right. in the room, I'm at the table and they see me as a person and they joke with me and they come to know about my family and my history and I come to know about theirs. And then there is this, this ripple effect again that happens out. Like um, it's again, it's, it's not our job to change them, but when we're there and we can be present, um, it matters. It matters. Yeah, because you put a face to something like there has been multiple points at which I was I I, I had a choice. Um, my whole family is very conservative Christian. My whole system, my whole worldview is conservative Christian. I was double fisting evangelicalism for most of my life. And I need people to understand how serious that was for me because coming out was not simply coming out. Coming out for me was a realization that I would lose everybody and everything that I held dear, including my own sense of vocation. Literally, no one fucking comes out for fun. <laughs> well, right, exactly, exactly. It was, a, yeah. it was a, an ability, or it was a choice that I knew that was going to cost me everything. Now, luckily, I have to say this because I love my mom super dearly. We have worked through this, and we've come back to a place where my mom is truly one of my best friends in the whole world. Um, she apologized to me for like how things went when I came out, and I couldn't. Uh, it was just this past year and as an apology, I never thought I was going to get and it changed my whole life. But I think 
the reason that that was able to happen was because I was able to stay in my family and to just be me. And I think that's a lot of what you're saying there is by just being you, I think it's, I think it's Audra Lorde, um, who was a, a black lesbian activist, right? Uh, but mm -hmm. she said that to be me as an act of, uh, of political, uh, I don't know if she said political. Uh, yeah, I think she said, is it political resistance? Like political resistance. resistance? Yeah. yeah, my existence is political resistance. And, and, um, and I'll put, I will put that real quote in the show notes somewhere. Don't worry, people. Um, <laughs> but, but it's so true because at some point, um, it is necessary for minority and diverse individuals to just show up. And now this is not to put the onus on people who are not emotionally ready. I want to be very careful when I say that because I recognize that I have a certain skill set and a certain level of privilege in having been able to access counseling and a certain um, level of safety within my family, uh, speaking of my partner and my children. So I have a certain level of privilege that affords me the ability to be out. Um, but I do think that it is important that people from marginalized communities, when they find themselves able to, um, step up and fill those roles in public because the like they need by they I mean like the people in power need to see you as a complete being that is not a monolith right I am queer I am an artist I am a parent I am a business owner I am an activist I am an author like I am all these things and people need to see that right in Absolutely. the same way that people need to see all of the wonderful beautiful complicated rich facets of brown women uh of of indigenous communities like all we the powers that be need to see those people represented. They need to see diversity represented. And so in that way, I think representation becomes critical, not only to people who may be in that category, but also to the people who are diametrically uh, opposite. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think you, you said a point that I, I, I will go round and round with people on. Um, and because we hear so often, like, you have to be out, like, you have to, like, you have to be out, you have to be out. But you, you, and we were talking about this before we went on, um, is, is sometimes you can't, sometimes you can't. And so I do think that when we have that space um, of safety and resources and backing, um, I guess there's like two, like there's two, there's, there's two ends of this, right? Because like, mm -hmm. you think about um, those like Marsha B, Marsha B. Johnson and, and, you know, like Sylvia Rivera who came out because, and, and were there because they had, there was no other option. There was no other, you know, there was no other option. Um, and for those of us who do have options, when we have those options and we're in that space where it's safe, we we need to, like you said, to step in, step yeah. into those spaces um, where we can carry a load that that shouldn't be placed upon those who are fighting to have their daily needs met. Yes. And I think that's, I think that's exactly it. I think it's a, like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs things. Anybody who has known me for more than two seconds knows that I really love Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I jokingly talk about getting it tattooed on me because it's so important for those of you who are watching, who might not have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a, it's a diagram. It's like a triangle, right? And there's different tiers to this triangle. And at the very top tier is self-actualization. And at the bottom tier is things like eating and housing and physical safety. And the idea is that it is, it is exponentially improbable for people to reach self-actualization when these underlying rungs of personal needs are not met. Now that is not to say impossible because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a model, it's a theoretical model and those do tend to fall short sometimes. But we need to realize that like, if we, if we are able to progress up 
that ladder. We need to do our best to support people that might be struggling on that bottom ladder. You know what I mean? And so we need to be able to use that space that we have. And we need to be cognizant of where we're at too, because sometimes like, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm not at self-actualization and I need to pull back for a minute. You know what I mean? And that's a self-care piece, but we need to be aware, right? That there's a lot of times, there's a lot of people who are in marginalized communities and they cannot step up because they are hungry or they are um, subject to, you know, a greater risk of police brutality. There's all sorts of reasons. And, and I think that we have to bear that hierarchy in mind when we look about our, our ability um, and willingness to engage in, you know, local yes. politics and activism. And I think the other, the other piece that is so important too is that we don't demand a, a, a person show up and articulate the harm that is being caused in a specific way, yes. right? Like yeah. we cannot say that you have to, you know, keep a temperament, a tone, linguistically match our, our cadence. Um, there is uh, no room for tone policing. No, there isn't. There isn't. And I, I really get frustrated and I get frustrated when, when people, you know, like, oh, they're so angry or why are they so aggressive? I'm like, yeah. okay, you go through centuries of um, brutalization and then yeah. be really happy to, to continue the conversation in a really nice, polite way exactly. um, in front of people who are voting on whether you matter as a human. Exactly. I think that's an important, that's a really important point too, because um, I I, I have a ton of proximity to black and brown people in my life, um, just with, without telling you like my entire life story, which I'll do for you viewers, I'll do it another time. But, um, <laughs> the communities and, and the spaces and the people that supported me most when I came out were uh, black and brown, um, like Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Hispanic communities in Harlem. Uh, and so, so I've, I've had the privilege of learning uh, by proximity to so many people there. And I've, I've learned that everybody's response to a situation is valid and we cannot tone police another person because that is not okay. And by tone policing, I mean, like Tyler said, you can't show up and you can't tell them you need to communicate in this way. Like this person has been through an entire lifetime that I cannot understand and I'm not going to tone police them. And so I try to function as like, as a white ally, right? Um, as a, I, I need to stop saying white. I would say light-skinned. As a light-skinned ally, right? I need to function in a way where I can help other light-skinned or white people understand why people are mad when things like Juneteenth are run by white people or why people are mad when black history is spoken about in a certain way. So I try to be a little bit of a bridge in those communities, um, in those intersecting areas of privilege and marginalization to explain to people like they might seem angry and you might think, well, why are they telling white people to not do this? But you've also got to understand that like they have every right to be angry. And so I try to help. I try to personally really facilitate that dialogue um, mm -hmm. because like black people have every right to be pissed about like white people running black history month or uh, white people defining what black history is put forward. Like they have every right to be mad. And so I, I try to be a little bit of a, of a bridge between marginalized communities in that way. And I think that that sort of um, bridge building between marginalized communities is a really, really, um, like a noble, not noble, I'm not trying to make myself noble, but it's a, it's a necessary and, and integral is, part yeah. of coalition building, you know. Trevor, I don't know if you listen to Trevor Noah, but my, my wife loves Trevor Noah, okay? Yeah. Um, and um, like, he did, he did a segment um, 
over the summer, you know, like when he was like shooting from his phone, much better phone than what I had, but whatever. And he's talking about um, how we cannot expect communities who who are not part of the social codes to begin with, who we've ex like we've we've ex exiled from the social codes. Yep, systemically exiled. Yep. to uphold then the, the social code. Yeah. So we cannot tell people that we, we can murder you in the streets, literally. We can shoot you in the streets to then not want to uh, you know, throw a brick. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, we cannot say don't, we can like kill you. We can kill you on TV. Um, and then we expect you to then follow the social constructs that we've we've created yeah like like this is a this is a huge thing currently like how do you want black people to protest they've knelt yeah. they've marched they've sat they've been silent they've come to congressional hearings and yet they're still being lynched readily right yeah and so you cannot you you if you do not you cannot like legislate what you're not willing to protect you can't it's absolutely. not, it's not absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and I get, yeah, I get, I get my, I can feel like my, I'm having like pull my hoodie down. Cause I'm like, I can move that. So <laughs> this, this topic gets me so fired up, so fired up. And, you know, this was actually, a very, I was, grew up in a very rural area, grew up in Titusville, very conservative. Um, uh, I, I call them I'm not even gonna say that out loud. Anyway, um, there's, there's a <laughs> I lived in Pleasantville, by the way, so I'm familiar. Oh, so you totally get it, right? Yeah. Um, I I always jokingly say like there's there's different types of Democrats, right? Like there's there's like there's just different type of Democrats. There's there's more that are like conservative, and there's more that are like leaning towards um, the AOC Dems and the Biden Dems. We'll just yep. say it politically correct, right? Okay. Yep. So whatever. Um, but I I'm very outspoken, and I'm more of an AOC Dem, mm -hmm. and and uh my so there's me and then my my sis my sister who's 11 months younger than me mm -hmm. um is a state trooper mm -hmm. um and so when this all went down over the summer i have biracial nephews and nieces my wife is brown um things started to unravel mm -hmm. um and i was very outspoken about you know i did the the public you know resignation with the mayor um and outspoken with you know black lives matter is the minimum that's the minimum bare, um, bare minimum but it, bare minimum right we're just trying to get to the bare minimum and that which is a whole nother tangent but it was a divide a complete divide in my family mm -hmm. um and at that point i wasn't i lost it was like so as me staying true to moral justice lost access um to my family like i was uninvited from family events mm -hmm. that's part of the, the discussion we don't really have as light-skinned people is when you take the right side mm -hmm. when you stand up you will then have to like you will most likely lose people you love just like you know the coming out process there's a grief that is that you're gonna have to like that white guilt that grief that you're gonna have to navigate yep. um as you possibly say goodbye to some people that you you used to sit across from at the dinner table mm -hmm. or you you know what i mean so there's this thing that we need to face and we need to be ready to say and set those boundaries because again the burden cannot continue to be carried by the oppressed population like it cannot by that that community if they are being harmed the least we can do is set a boundary that says you can't talk about people like this well absolutely you know we're, 
Yeah, because much like polit much like local politics starts this bigger building ripple process, so do our interpersonal conversations, right? Absolutely. And especially mm -hmm. if we look at those interpersonal conversations um, in terms of our spheres of influence, right? So we have influence on our families, we have influence on our children, we have influence on our friends, and then we have influence on our social acquaintances, and we have influences on our peers and our coworkers, and, and, and it all begins to be able to build something bigger. It's very much a grassroots model right i don't know mm -hmm. if you were ever into punk rock but i super was when i was younger like super was like i was in a i was in a punk band i had a skateboard and like i wrote it a lot i was never very good at it that's why i didn't say i was like a <laughs> but, you know what i mean like i was into that whole punk rock diy ethos and we did that with our band like from the grounds up you know what i mean guerrilla mm -hmm. uh marketing and that's what we have to do each and every one of us has to commit to doing that in order to create this big change that will eventually reach, you know, the halls of power in our nation, in our nation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. With that mm -hmm. being said, so tell me why you are moving forward and seeking a different office, right? So you, you're currently council president and you're running for county executive. So I'm currently a school board president and I'm running for county executive and I'm running for county executive because that person oversees like it's uh, all of human services and public the public departments right mm -hmm. and so the very people who are servicing this is it, there is revenue to be made there but this is primarily a, like those who are serving the city and and those within the county like who reside within those spaces mm -hmm. um and and there needs there has never been a, a minority person in this position there hasn't been and that's not okay right, right. that's not okay and again I'm the more palpable, and I know that aesthetically, I'm the more palpable minority yep. person. Yep. Um, and especially because I wear flannels and blue jeans because they're really comfortable. And so right. I know- it's that the vestige of your things. lesbianism. Yes, it is. I didn't, that was the best part is I didn't <laughs> actually have to do any wardrobe updating. Same thing since ninth grade. And it has been like this. That's I love at. it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that is, that. that's why it is, it, it, this overseas all like we're talking about the office of children and youth um, I'm, I'm stationed within would be stationed within the courthouse so i'm overseeing and interacting with the judges who are who are doing sentences mm -hmm. i oversee the prison um i oversee mm -hmm. you know just like public works uh all those places and spaces where we know systemic discrimination is happening happening yeah. and it's yeah. And it's devastating when it happens. Yeah. Like when we look at the juvenile detention or adult probation or, you know, OCY, uh, we know what communities are overrepresented. Mm -hmm. And so why there should be more, you know, marginalized, oppressed people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I even hate the word minority. I really right. hate the word minority right, right, because right, right. we're not, we're right. not, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but people who aren't uh, cis, white, straight mm -hmm. um, and able-bodied, we mm -hmm. need, we need diversity there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why, that is yeah. why I'm running. This is what I have built my life around is serving. I am a, I am a servant. Um, and I don't mean that, like, <laughs> I mean that, and, and I'm a servant of, 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 of people, of, mm -hmm. of life, of, mm -hmm. of, of others. Mm -hmm. Um, and I will, I will forever be, it yeah. is where I, my cup fills up, uh, even though it drains me. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to be in, acts of, of, of service to others. And I have to show that to myself too, but this is why I'm seeking the spot yeah. is because, is because we need people who have those lived experiences. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I mean, when you broke down, when you broke down that position uh, in terms of ripple effect, that's massive. Right? 
right? Because you're talking, you're talking and being able to help in all of those areas. Yes. Right. And so even if you're the person in that position, that's like, hold the phone. Who thought that mm. was a good idea? You get to be that person. You know I mean? You have that, that breadth and oversight in that position. What's the uh, race shaping up to look like for you? Like, how are, uh, are you going up against an incumbent? What are you? So there's no incumbent. Uh, okay. The incumbent announced that they weren't running again for re-election. Um, they've served two terms, their four-year term. Um, and so right now we've got four Democrats into the party and we've got two Republicans. Mm -hmm. So the, the Republicans, that's, you get through the primary and then you focus on the general. So it's like you're mm -hmm. running two different races. Mm -hmm. So right now there's four of us that are running for the, the Democratic nomination. Um, polar opposites. Um, well, there's two of us that are pretty similarly aligned. Um, and, 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 and we've actually sat down a couple of times now for great discussion. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, she, she, she still is a cis white person. And I, and I say that with all the love in the world. Right. Because I have a ton of respect for this person. Right. Um, but there's still an element of, of lack of representation that can't be ignored there. Yeah, absolutely. And there is like, you know, there's, there's nothing against cis white people. Like it's just a, a yeah. fact of the matter. You know what I mean? And it, maybe it's a moment for, you know, especially your local democratic party to step up and kind of show their mettle in terms of what do you really value? No, I say that with a bit of a bit of uh, maybe an eyebrow raise because I feel like there's not really a truly progressive section in America. Um, it's kind of just like slightly all kilter to the left of center kind of. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's time, I mean, speaking nationally, it's certainly time for the Democrats to be like, hey, man, you know, all those black people that voted for us, maybe we should help them. You know what I mean? Right. And that's what blows. And this is what blows my mind is people are like, how do the Republicans keep doing it? I'm like, because they they have got the the unity mm -hmm. down pat. Mm -hmm. Once they've made a decision, they have made a decision. Yep. And come hell or high water, they are backing that person. Absolutely. Um, and, and we've seen that. And that is how they get through. Uh, you know, even with, with the FOTUS, like that was how Trump got through. Like it was like a hell or high water. Um, and they stood by um, this person with, yep. with loyalty that is devastating, devastating. Um, but we, if we were to unify in the same way, but on the side of justice and equity, yeah, the power is, is just as, is just as intense there. Oh my goodness. That, I mean, that would, that would change everything, right? That would change absolutely mm -hmm. everything. Um, that, yeah, man. Wow. I really, that would be an amazing position. I, I genuinely did not know, um, what the title of County executive would hold for you. Now I've seen some stuff by following your local Facebook page. And this is, this is just a, I guess this is a question that, that lends to the idea of what it takes to be a public, you know, a minority, but how have you been received, um, in, in your campaign? Because I, I read a study once that said Erie PA was like the city in the United States that was most resistant to change. Um, yeah. and so, so tell me about how it has been, um, being on the campaign trail as an out queer person who is unapologetically, um, intersectional and, and diverse. So, uh, in all honesty, do I get hate mail? Yeah. Do I get nasty, nasty grams? Yeah. Um, but those pale in comparison to, to the outright support that I truly receive as an individual. Um, and it is because I don't run on platitudes. I run on genuine platform and genuine investment in the issues. And I have stood up for things 
um, that, you know, that made sense and that, that helped not just benefit me, mm-hmm. but helped benefit, um, the, those who needed the benefit the most. Um, and I've earned the respect and I don't, I, I guess, I don't know, like there's a lot of like bridging the gap discussion mm-hmm. that happens, uh, growing up in a rural area, I understand the same barriers. Like I, I watched what happened to my, my family. Like my, my, my stepfather was a self-employed logger. My mother, you know, w- worked at the WIC office um, and then put herself back through LPN school when I was 16. And then we became, they became foster parents. And so I've seen every side of the system and I, I understand rural car- culture. I understand um, what they're enduring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is what, what people see when they, when they talk with me. It's, yeah. it's like, I'm not, I don't assume just because you're in the country that you're a bigot. Right. Because Absolutely. you're not. That, <laughs> yep. It's and not so a given. Think, yeah. Right. Um, are, do we see a lot of rural people coming forward and, and having uh, like misnomers and a lack of understanding? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also, I will tell you how, I can't tell you how many times actually I've also seen rural people come forward and literally give their shirt off the back to a stranger. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like, so it's country hearts are some of the most pure hearts that I've met. Yeah. Um, and so I think when, when I'm out on the campaign trail, that is that is people see me as a person and i've i've earned that from my commitment to all people within this community absolutely absolutely man that's so that's that's huge and so exciting and i also have 20 other things that i need to talk to you about off camera because that's just like me as a person (laughs) um i really i'm actually going to be working on a research project uh, vis-a-vis the topic of queer people who come out in rural environments and that experience uh, versus that's kind of countercultural to the narrative of like fleeing to urban centers as a queer person so we'll talk about that later but yeah uh, (laughs) i want to kind of wrap us up here because i want to you know honor the fact that you jumped on tonight uh and give you maybe give you back to your partner and your kids at some point. So, but I would have to say like, okay, so I have a couple of questions for you. First one is like, if you would define your own sense of personal spirituality, knowing, giving this, this, this body of work that we've just heard from you and hearing your true heart on these matters, like, what do you think it is that matters, that pushes, that drives you forward? Um, and that you base your life around that is beyond just the tangible. Like, what is what does that mean to you? What would how would you define that for yourself? Just because yeah. I'm curious. So I often like refer to. Um, so my youngest um, believes in, in like God and prays to God. Um, and there was a, there was a time where I, where I did too. Mm-hmm. My oldest is more um, leaning towards Wiccan and, and being connected with like spirituality and earth and nature and, and how those all intertwine. I would say that I'm like somewhere in the middle and I kind of compare my spirituality to that to be like to that of like water, <laughs> you know, like there is there is a truth that exists and it flows and connects all of us. Um, but to try to capture like, how do you describe how do you do that? water, right? Yeah. Like, or, you know, but it's there regardless of our, under, our understanding, um, regardless of our acknowledgement of it. It is there. And that is kind of what I, what I, I literally refer to it as the truth, right? The yeah. truth is there. And, and that source um, is there, whether I understand it, whether I've come to terms with it, whether, whatever it is. Right. And I will work towards that truth forever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like that thing that's pulling you forward, right? It's yeah. pulling you forward. I have this, uh, my Instagram, no, not Instagram, my uh, Twitter and TikTok handle. Uh, I just recently changed uh, because I've been trying to like really 
who who is Leo and who am I moving forward into this new phase of my life um, where I'm in seminary and I, I was a Christian, but like, what am I? I don't know. You know what I mean? All of these mm-hmm. things coming together. How do I describe it? Uh, so I've actually, my handle on uh, TikTok and Twitter is actually spiritually NB, Leo WT, meaning spiritually non-binary because mm-hmm. it's definitely there. Um, but I've found throughout all of my studies and experiences and intersectional interfaith experiences, I've found that um, there's more happening that draws us to the same conclusions then pulls us away. Uh, so if you're interested in following that journey, feel free, right? Uh, <laughs> conversations is a literal fleshing out of that. And you can see it on all my other channels too, but that's kind of, I'm in that vein of understanding. So I haven't asked that of my previous guests, but I think I am going to going forward because I think it's going to be interesting to hear. Uh, my last question would be, well, second to last question would be, um, if there was one thing, like say everybody was going to only listen to one minute of this video or podcast, what would you put in that minute? What would you say? I would want them to know that everybody has um, a space and place of power and we have a space and place um, in which we can use that power to cause a a ripple. Mm -hmm. Every voice and presence matters. God, and your lived experience is valid. Mm-hmm. There will be so many people who are going to tell you that it's not real and it's not valid. And it is, you matter and it is so valid. What you mm-hmm. experience is so valid. Um, and be, God, fuck social, like, just like fuck social constructs. Like mm-hmm. be your own version of beautiful. Like mm-hmm. you define it mm-hmm. and what it means to you. Um, that is what I would want people. You don't owe the world anything but you. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And I also love that you started that by saying we all do have our own spaces and places of power, um, because I think that's something that helped me, particularly when I was coming out of of evangelicalism and coming out, um, was the realization, like, I felt like so much was being taken from me, and I felt like I was giving up everything to be myself. But one of the things that kept my anxiety at bay, uh, a mentor of mine told me like, you always have some amount of power in a situation. Mm-hmm. And maybe your amount of power is super tiny right now. But you as a person, as a person who has agency and value and insight because of your lived experience, you have some measure of power. And just on the worst days, just try to grab onto that little measure of power and use it. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my last question for you is is much less esoteric than the last two. <laughs> but um, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to get in touch with you more to follow your work, to give you support, um, bake you cookies? Yeah. I don't know, whatever. But how, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? So I'm like super creative on my handles, right? You can literally go to tylertitus.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, like just go type in my name. Um, I'm on, uh, I think I'm, I'm Dr. Tyler on TikTok or it, it might be Dr. Tyler Titus. And then on Instagram, it's, it's the same elect, elect Tyler. Okay. I'm really not very creative. No, but if you great. go to like the tylertitus.com, you'll see, you'll see my page. Um, and then you can follow me on Insta where I also talk about my nonprofit, which we didn't even get into because I'm still like, I don't know if I want to be a nonprofit, but it only serves queer people, especially queer youth. So. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I've actually been following that. So we'll have to have you back on. I have a couple of folks that I'm going to be bringing back on kind of in the fall, and it would be exciting to hear from, from you more about that and to see yeah, how yeah. the campaign is progressing and such. So we'll have to bring you back on. Uh, but for those of you who heard all that, I'm going to do my best to put that all in the show notes on the podcast in the captions on YouTube, and then in the comments on Facebook. So it, uh, we'll get Tyler's info out there for all of you folks there. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. 
Tyler, thank you so much for being this here. This was a blast. Thank you, uh, thank you, thank you. It was great. I can't wait to have you back again. And I really, truly thank you for being you and doing doing what you're doing and having the courage you have to just be you in the world. Uh, we definitely wish you the best. And I can't wait to have you back on Conversations. Thank you. Did you see my kid just like almost try to stab me with a pen to get my attention? <laughs> That's a great way. Like, dad, yeah, right there. Like, come here. I think my wife is texting me too. So I think the universe is telling us it's time to log off. But yes. thank you so much for your <laughs> thank time. You. Thank your wife for her tech help. And we will have you back on here sometime soon, my friend. Have a good night. Bye, Bye, everybody. <laughs>